so our main focus, and again, I didn't understand the tree or anything at this point, but we were really worried about our MTSS process, which I know you guys were talking about tier one, tier two, tier three. So I have been solely focused on that tier one side after taking that course with you guys. And the tier two, then we were finding, because I was trying to find my role then, I felt like I was in classrooms. In this episode, we chat with middle school math teacher, department chair, and founding Make Math Moments online workshop member, Sean Hershey. Sean recently took our Make Math Moments math program assessment and received his customized report and improvement plan. And he's here to chat with us Mm -hmm. about optimizing the math program at his school. This is another Math Mentoring Moment episode where we chat with a teacher like you who is working through some problems of practice and together we brainstorm ways to overcome them. All right, John, let's hit it. Welcome to the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. We are two math teachers from MakeMathMoments.com who, together with you, the community of math moment makers worldwide who want to build and deliver problem-based math lessons that spark curiosity, fuel sense-making, and ignite your teacher moves Welcome, my friends, to another Math Mentoring Moment episode. And uh, guess what? We're going to be talking about not just teacher moves, but leader moves here on today's episode. We are so excited to welcome Sean to the podcast. When we saw his name in our booking calendar, uh, we both got excited. We both wanted to hop on the call because... We've seen Sean kind of from a distance as he went through our online workshop and we were working closely with him at that time back in 2018. Ooh, that was a while ago. Yes, and it's been great to see him hacking away at the Academy courses as well as some of the work that he's been doing in between. So we are so excited to hop in. John, what was your sort of big takeaway or uh, piece that you took from this particular conversation with Sean? Yeah, no, I was impressed with this conversation and excited afterwards because we jumped on this conversation just to chat with Sean, just to see how things are going. And we hit record through the conversation. It came out that he's had such a transformation from five years ago into what he's doing now and being the department chair and meeting with his math teachers. And he's so reflective on the development they've made as a team. And he's asking great questions about how his district program can improve. And he's done a lot of learning with the assessment and the report we sent him on the six different ways to improve a math program. And he's on his way. He's like thinking about how the pieces fit together. And you're going to hear that. He's starting to make connections on how the leaves of the tree, our resources are connected Mm -hmm. to the roots of a tree, our content knowledge. So he's making those connections and he's starting to make plans. And there was an aha moment you could hear coming up where he starts to realize the leadership, the trunk of the tree is so important and he's got to figure out how to how to wrap that around and help his district move forward so we're ready to uh, share that conversation with you and uh here we go awesome stuff let's dig in i was actually in your very first workshop i remember you're a founding so, member 
This sheet right here is what I created after I left that workshop. Now, I didn't know about your six parts, but I left there and I wrote down goals starting in 2018. So you guys did that workshop in 2018, correct? 2019. You've yeah. got it. You, I, yeah, I'm fall sure of 2018, I think it was. It says 2018 through 2025. Those were my goals. I left um, your workshop and I thought, this is it. So I set these goals. Now, you have expanded my like, okay, I got to really do more with this. But I was like, okay, we're going to work. And like you said, you got to just chew at a little bit of a time. But I felt like the most important thing was for me and our team to develop our conceptual understanding. If there's anything you guys taught me is it's not procedures, wow. right? You guys call it don't rush the algorithm, which I use that with, with them. But I mean, we talk about procedures and I just was going over how we drastically changed our eighth grade proportional unit by just thinking of open number lines. Mm-hmm. Instead of teaching the slope formula, M equals Y2 minus Y1 over X2 minus X1, you're just like, dude, that makes no sense. But mm-hmm. we start right from the table knowing it's just the distance between two numbers on the number line, whether you're decreasing or increasing, and that has opened up access. So that idea, I just want to let you know, I know you guys can talk to me, but I <laughs> I just want to let you know, like when I look at this and what you guys, I'm like, ah, I see what they're talking about. Like, it's just not even just that. It's, you know, it's- and the one-off stuff. So thanks, guys, for like putting hey, no that. Problem. Yeah, that is so great to hear. And to be honest, like way back then, you know, we, like you're saying, it's like the deeper you go. Exactly. Literally just now we've finally been able to kind of get it all into this thing, you know, we call the tree, right? And really what it is, it's almost like you have to zoom in and zoom back out and then zoom in and zoom back out. So it sounds like you had almost been guided towards that conceptual understanding, those roots that we call of the tree. And you've been doing a lot of great work there, but then you're probably seeing that, oh, it's not just that, that there's so many other pieces too. So it's great that it's sort of coming together for you as well. Well, and just the mindset, which is like the soil piece. It's like we actually moved 12 kids from direct instruction, which is like our, we call it special ed, if you know what I mean, like our special mm-hmm. ed, to mm-hmm. the regular ed. And they're nice. actually flourishing. That hasn't happened Love in it. 10, wow. 15 years. So that mindset of like, these kids can do it. Plus the teacher is now pushing back on our psychologist saying, no, don't put them in direct instruction. Just leave them in my room. We can work with them. Now, I'm just to understand my role, I'm not a classroom teacher. I'm actually a math interventionist. Yep. Okay. My school gave me an open schedule. Nice. So I create every day. So I actually go in and push in with the kids, but I also do small group instruction when needed. So I was actually getting in every classroom, like you guys said, where you kind of zoom in and zoom out. And we talked about like how one teacher was doing this thing with another, the next year they're learning about, let's just take integers. One teacher was doing a number line. Next teacher was doing integer chips. Mm. So our kids were trying to go back and forth. Now we only have 40 minutes to teach a lesson. So we did have to be a little cautious. And so we looked at like, which one was the best, but like, the kids were constantly trying to relearn something or a different strategy. I'm not saying either one's bad, mm-hmm. but like you almost have to like, okay, so if which one's going to be the most beneficial? So we kind of looked at open number line and how it flowed through, not just from second grade on, but the whole way up through. So we were trying to pick that it. model for conceptual understanding. But I love yes. that. Nice. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you've definitely identified the importance of alignment, right? Across different classes, across different grades. And 
something that research has taught us is that pockets of success actually don't lead to long-term growth for students, right? So if they come yeah. to your class and they have success with using the number line and then they go to the next class and they never see it again, or it's a different model and you're not talking with that teacher suit, it's clear that you've identified that as an area that as a team, if you can find a way to build in those PLCs or any type of professional learning that you can do where everyone comes together. Hey, Math Moment Makers, Kyle here, and I've got just a quick message specifically for our district-level mathematics decision makers out there. Do you feel like you're spinning your wheels when making district-level goals for mathematics programming from kindergarten through grade 12? Setting new goals each year only to find little to no real shift in pedagogical practice or educator content knowledge across the district as a whole? Take a moment to book a short call with our team so we can learn more about your specific district and educator learning needs in mathematics so we can assist you in taking the first step of many in the right direction. Visit makemathmoments.com forward slash district to book a web call with our team today. We have a limited number of spots for districts just like yours, so don't wait. Head to makemathmoments.com forward slash district and grab a spot in our calendar now. And that's the biggest mistake I think I made is I really should have created these goals. If I'm understanding when you guys identify leadership as my biggest area of concern to work on, my district's kind of, you know, the whole professional development thing. They're more worried about behaviors right now. So math isn't right. really on the yep. radar. It is, but it isn't. Uh, so you know that piece is it come there. So when I look at it, I think leadership, you guys also look at leadership as not mine, sorry, our math right. team here in the middle school. So it's not me, like I'm not the leader kind of thing. Yes, I'm the department chair, but we got to come together and we got to figure this out now. Now that I think I'm starting to understand these better. So sure. of course, sure. can I yeah. run through them with you? This, you guys, okay, good, good, okay. Because this is now going to take us to the next level because we've seen a lot of success. We actually were fourth from the bottom in our county. Whoa. And our test results were now number two. Our teachers are phenomenal. Now, understand yeah. this has been what since 2018. So, like That's you said, amazing. This isn't... that is so rare for that to happen. So, good on you and them for uh, mm -hmm. sort of sticking to that. That's one of the hardest pieces when we're working with districts that we find is that it's sort of like, how do we fix it now instead oh. of taking time to grow and do the work that needs to be done? And I agree with you. And that's where, like, with this coming through here, it's like you're getting to that next. So, like, I, uh, when I first learned about double number lines from you guys, and I created a decimal lesson. I'm like, Ooh, okay, this mm -hmm. is kind of getting them to see, like, okay, they actually do have importance in real life. And then we were kind of taking that idea, but it kind of, I noticed with my teachers, it's like a rubber band. You know how like you start stretching a rubber band, it's about ready to break. You got to bring it back in. And that's where I think you guys zoom in, zoom out. Do you guys do that with teachers where you feel like they're getting to that breaking point of like, okay, this is too much, Sean. You got to bring yeah. it back in. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, we got all of them to actually not use a textbook anymore. So okay. you guys are kind of like, remember how you guys talking about the textbook? You got to know the standards. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. In eighth grade, we don't even have one. We actually created keynotes. So I got, we got, I was doing professional development right after that because I wanted uh -huh. to visualize that because that actually helped me understand things. Uh -huh. 
So when you guys then got to the point where, okay, so some of our teachers still wouldn't let go of the textbook in the one grade, you guys then ran that transforming your textbook. Yeah, yep. we ran that. Remember, Kyle, you uh, I walked out for whatever reason. I was going back and trying to watch them. I had to ask you for permission to get in. But <laughs> then the teachers at least got on that. And then the keynotes started pulling them back in. But that's problem-based because now we had context to talk about. Mm-hmm. And it's it. just like cool stuff that we're working through there. So that idea there, where would that fall in? Is that, would you say that's a conceptual understanding or is that resources? I, John, I, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm thinking it's a bit of both because yeah, like, I do too. Like they're all working together, right? In, in it's the, hard to make a resource without having your own mathematical proficiency, right? So it's like it kind of built and it helps to build both, to be honest, right? If it's right. being done well, yeah. like when you're thinking about strategies and models when you're putting these together, because anybody could put together a resource that's procedural and sort of rushes to the algorithm, does all the things that we were advocating not to do or only do when you're digging in, it's almost like, again, like you need bits of all of these pieces. Otherwise, those resources are going to be really, really, if you picture it like leaves, like wilted and not very healthy looking, right? Yeah. And you think about the six parts of the tree and the leaves being the resources, like there's a couple of ways to look at those resources in a sense of they could be in isolation by saying, look at what resources are we using now? And do those resources, do those textbooks, you know, this tool over here, does this classroom activity, does that fit in with the learning that we've done along the way that helps with our pedagogical content knowledge and our mathematical proficiencies? So you can look at it like as an evaluation tool to go, look, these are my goals for the year. This is what we want to work towards in our classrooms. Does this resource or does this curriculum help with that or hinder that? But the way you've described it, Sean, is that when you start to create resources, you start to build in those other pieces of your goals along the way. So it's that's where they kind of very much will blend together is that you want to use these other areas of the tree to kind of evaluate, you know, the other areas like the resources. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it is both then. It's not isolated, is it? No. No. It really can't it's all be connected. It's not, all the same tree. It's all the same tree. Not, not keeping it done well, right? Like that's the key, right? You could try to do yeah. any one. And I think that's one of the pieces John and I learned, well, I say a long time ago, we were doing a long time ago, and it was only in the past maybe five or six years that we sort of started to realize that John and I really focused on specifically the leaves in our own classrooms, but we didn't have some of the other pieces. We didn't have the conceptual understanding in order to, we could develop an engaging lesson, but it didn't necessarily help students understand math. It helped them show up to math class. It helped them lean in in math class. It helped them like math class, but they didn't walk away any more confident with the mathematics itself. They just hated math class less. So that's a part of it. But it's like, as soon as you start adding in these other pieces, you start to go, oh my gosh. And not to mention that if they leave our class and then enter into the next class and it's back to square one, the the way it was the year before they entered our class, they start to rethink things again and go, you know, did I actually like fall further behind? Because now I don't (laughs) know how to do the algorithm or I haven't memorized the algorithm like I did in a previous class. So there's so much there. And I think you've kind of come to your own realization that, yeah, it is so interconnected. And that's why we thought the tree was such a great metaphor for it to kind of represent that connectedness. Yeah. And that's the other, your circle lesson for circumference with the tile. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I had, yeah. To, I had to change a little bit because, like I said, we have 40 minutes. So there's there's a lot of times you would love to say, well, what do you think? And you take all of them, you narrow it down. And yeah, we do that, but we have to do it a little more confined. But I did that lesson. But when I was talking to the teachers, we always just did, you know, just plug it in. But mm-hmm. you really were there like, what do you think? And then you have the diameter there. And then like the teachers took, so I did this with teachers, by the way. And the one teacher walked out, she goes, I now know what pie means. She just thought it was 3.14, but you know what I mean? Like, so what I said is, what do you want in there? Do you want the kids just to plug in the formula or do you want them to see that a diameter that the circumference is about three times plus a little more? Like, should you, it's like, where do you want the kids? Cause that's what you guys always challenge us on is like, Mm What do you want the kids to be able to do at the end? Just plug it in and put in their calculator? Or do you want them to see that piece? Because yeah. then what I did is I took a circle and I unwind it. And I took it in the keynote. I made it unwind. And yeah. then I just left the diameter there. And then I laid it on it. And then just said, like, it was like, it was just like one of those pieces. Like, we're really focused on that, which I guess is not the leadership trunk. I would say like that's your one of your pedagogical content knowledge pieces of what kind of mm-hmm. teacher moves are you using in your classroom? What kind of questioning, what kind of style of delivery are you using to showcase the content knowledge that you want students to understand the resources you're using? So that's more of a kind of a teacher move to go, hey, we're going to follow the curiosity path and we're going to be building curiosity. We want students to lean in. We want students to be engaged in that way, but also wonder and notice and have all of that benefit of the engagement that leads to the sense-making piece Mm -hmm. along the way. So our main focus, and again, I didn't understand the tree or anything at this point, but we were really worried about our MTSS process, which I know you guys were talking about tier one, tier two, tier three. Mm-hmm. So I have been solely focused on that tier one side after taking that mm. course with you guys. And the tier two, then we were finding, because I was trying to find my role then, I felt like I was in classrooms and we were kind of getting that situated for like three years or so. And then we really focused on the MTSS. So our math meetings, when we meet, I'm just letting you guys know, has been really focused on what I've learned on how we help students with interventions. Because you guys had Juliana Tapper on and was Mm -hmm. talking about that. And I really got a lot from her. Nice. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. It's interesting because it's a chicken versus the egg sort of thing. You know, which one comes (laughs) first? And I think, especially after the pandemic, we found ourselves in a really tough spot because tier one, not only does tier one instruction have to improve in so many classrooms all over the world, the problem is, is that tier one instruction won't get us out of this mess alone, right? So, I mean, it's like our problem is even larger now. So it really does make teams have to pause for a moment and sort of try to figure out where do I put my attention now? It doesn't mean that we never bring our attention to the other part, which is exactly what you get in that customized report that you received. You know, we're not saying there's no other parts of the tree we want to focus on, but we do have to pick something to sort of zoom in on and begin with. And it sounds like your team has focused on that tier two as maybe that goal for now. And that may very well be exactly where you want to be right now. But at the same time, we also want to zoom out a little bit and just sort of like make sure that we know where we are relative to the other pieces and know that 
there's work to be done. We will get there. We're going to plan ahead and think about those things. But that down. <laughs> let's make sure that we don't overwhelm ourselves because that's one of the biggest challenges or problems that I see we have in education in general, but also specifically in mathematics is that there are so many pieces that we need to work on. If we just take tiny little bits and try to put tiny little bits together, it's like there's no impact, right? Like you don't see change. People start to get negative. They start to think like, oh, this idea is not a good idea, even though maybe it's a great idea. It just hasn't been well implemented yet. So it sounds like by picking something to focus on, that's Mm -hmm. a great place to be. And it gives you, I think you had a bit of a realization around the idea of ensuring your team is sort of all in the same place, right? Maybe in the same headspace as to where you go. When you said about the tier one, though, what's interesting is what I really was focusing on them is when we start doing problem-based lessons, we start looking at how we show math visually, conceptually. You will actually decrease your MTSS kids, but you're right. There's always going to be that special ed kid. But give you an example, like this year, what we're celebrating now is we used to have 30 plus kids in direct instruction. Now we're down to either between 15, 20, but we only have one kid in the pipeline for this year in sixth, wow. seventh, and eighth grade. So to me, that's a huge win. And you guys said like it was you specifically, John, that was talking about in that podcast was celebrating those wins. What are they? I think that's a win. It's not even just what the data, because sometimes I think we get data sometimes hinders us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It doesn't help. But I mean, we're given these assessments, but the assessments are for growth, right? So if we give an assessment, I don't need to give you three benchmarks plus an additional 15 minutes of this data created from a computer thing that I just don't really agree with. I think it's the teacher, but we can use that assessment, make decisions about this kid, and then have a conversation. And like you said, sometimes the conversations need to be geared towards not is what's the kid's weakness, but what's the kid's strength. And, you know, something that you said that I think is really important as well, the fact that you've been on this journey since 2018 also says a lot about making goals, sticking to them and following through. So that tier one piece, by helping to solidify the instruction that the majority of students are receiving That is a huge help to ensure less students fall away, right? They stop moving away from that pack, that group in tier one. And ultimately, you now, it sounds like, have a process where you can provide something in particular for students who may need that additional, you call it direct instruction. But essentially, it really is that. It's we're going to sit down, we're going to target specifically what will be helpful for you, the strategies and the models that are going to be helpful for you to get you to the next place in your journey. And are they also engaging in the tier one or are they actually going to the tier two at the same time tier one is happening? Oh, this is never easy. No, (laughs) never. (laughs) So what we have done is we separate tier two and tier three from this. Number one is convincing the teachers that they're also part of tier two. Love it. Mm -hmm. That alone was like, okay, door ninth period, are you guys pulling in small groups? Now I can do tier two, but what we find is, like I said, we have 40 minutes. So I never want a kid to miss instruction. I never agree that you just, the kid, because if a kid comes to me for quote unquote interventions, then I miss instruction. Now I'm in the middle school. So we know like, uh, have you guys heard of Robin Codding? 
No, uh, she was sounds familiar, but I don't know the word. Here. She was kind of the guru, but she's a researcher. See, I like you guys because you were teachers. So like a researcher can say, this is great, but sometimes they never tell you how to buy that in your classroom. But one thing I learned from her, which was cool, is in reading, you have your five building blocks of reading, which is comprehension, fluency, phonemic awareness, phonics, and vocabulary. And they work off of that. But in math, it doesn't work that way. And what she said is you have your top three. So I'm just giving you an idea how we do a tier two. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to go further, but I'm just giving you how we Yeah, yeah, no problem. Sure. So in K through five, it's single digit operations. But when they hit middle school, your proportional reason course, it's all about ratios, portions, percents, expressions, and equations. I don't worry about basic math facts up here when I'm talking about intervention, because we can always hand you a calculator. We're trying to build on concepts. So what, what I do is like right now, we identified through our own assessments, 11 kids in seventh grade that couldn't solve a two-step equation. Well, that's a standard. So I actually bring those kids down. And so that's a tier three now, by the way. Mm -hmm. So now mm -hmm. I'm in a tier three because yeah. I got two or three kids in front of me. I teach them the lesson. I break it down to a half hour. But with two or three kids, sometimes I'm dealing with the nuts and bolts. But then I get 15 minutes of interventions. And so we started with a two-step equation. Yeah, if a kid couldn't add and subtract. Okay, that's fine. I got your calculator, but we were working on, okay, can you solve? This is where you then you do your question you guys, can you solve a one-step equation? Do you even know how to combine like terms? And we start diving back. So I got three in my room, but now we're working individually. Hey, guess what? It's uh, eight and a half weeks later, and I only have, I went from 11, we're down to six. Love it. And, mm -hmm. and they, mm -hmm. you and I both know they need that piece going forward. So that's how we do. And if you're with me, a tier three is all in addition. It's either one-on-one -on -one or two-on-one because -on -one. Robin Conning said research says two-on-one is as effective as one-on-one -on -one in mathematics. Mm -hmm. as long as you're on the same. So that was kind of cool. So it doesn't have to be one-on-one, -on -one, which was great. And you must meet with them at least two times a week to make it. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm like, if you can manage that third is always that can be a game changer. I know it's tough, like easier said than done. But yeah, the more yeah. often, the better. But again, you know, there are restrictions to that, of course. We, we make it fit our system. That's what you guys yep. always, this yep. <laughs> is what it is. This is what we yeah. got. You Instead do what you can. A roadblock, how can we get around that? Now, and she said one we, thought I wanted to share with yeah. you before we maybe tangent off into another area is, you had mentioned this idea of like, I love, I love the idea that you're looking and going, okay, we're in the middle grades. We've got these concepts. We're dealing with proportional relationships, proportional reasoning. Algebra now is kind of, you know, algebraic reasoning's around since kindergarten, but now we're talking about actually getting into algebraic representations and things of that nature. So I love the work that you're doing there. One thought, and I don't know if we'll have an answer on how you could fit it in now, but maybe something to like add to your like wonder list is how can we incorporate some of that number sense fluency and flexibility into that world simply that because, talks? you know, <laughs> Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I got you on my list. Yep. Yeah, I love it. I love it. That, what you're that, thinking? Piece, that piece is so huge because it's yeah. almost like, are those concepts that helpful? Like say solving two-step equations. I know it's an expectation or a, or a standard, but in reality, it's like, what is really going to be the get? Like oftentimes it's like, what has hindered this student to this point? And oftentimes it does come up with that fluency, flexibility with number and operations. And it could be something as simple as a very targeted problem string, which may only be like a six minute activity. Like if I could squeeze six minutes in there and it's super intentional, 
and maybe this might be something, John, you and I, we could even mm-hmm. do a webinar on it is really getting to it. No rabbit holes. Like, you know, when we do number talks, oftentimes people go down the rabbit hole and they're like, here's a strategy. Here's a strategy. Here's a model. Here's the way I did it. I did it this way because I just want to be as creative as I possibly can. It's like, no, no, we're going to do this specific strategy, this specific model. And I've got these three problems we're going to do in in a specific order so that you get the low hanging fruit and then we get you to something harder. And then the next time I see you, we're going to continue that little string. And that can really go a long way to strengthening some of the work that you're trying to do in those middle grades as well. When you work with schools on math talks, how do you get like training a teacher for that is also it's work. Support, work, repetition. Am I allowed to ask you this question or am I getting off topic? But how, no. how do you guys? OK, so you guys do this all the time. That's an ultimate goal of mine. It really is like a math talks. What would you do as a first step to convince people? Now, I think I'm only now ready to even tackle this myself. Right. Because the truth is, when I heard about that, I agreed with it. And then I was trying to do it. But I never felt like I could force someone. Does that yeah. make sense? No, totally. yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay, because like, yeah, I still got to build myself, man. Yeah. <laughs> you no, know, and, and you're asking the what's the first thing you do when you're working with a team to help them understand that this is a powerful tool to use. Yeah, right? that is my question. So, what you- Sean, what would you say? Like, when you think about your teachers that you're working with now, what kind of problems, what kind of pebbles are they experiencing in their classroom? What, like that conversation that you have with them, like what would you say Ooh, would be like one oh, pebble okay. they have in their classroom that you could help alleviate you could help remove you don't have to answer that right now but that's actually how we start is thinking about how to position ourselves as we come in to work with teachers and provide them certain strategies it doesn't have to be a math talk but it's about positioning ourselves to alleviate that pebble in their shoe like what can we help with is the thing that you need help with is that kids are not being resilient problem solvers, they're not engaging in the discussion, or maybe they're like, it's so dead quiet in my room, or maybe they're off topic all of the time. There's always these pebbles that teachers will say when they vent, right? And, mm-hmm. and <laughs> when we say, okay, look at like, these are all things that we're dealing with. Yes. Would you be open to like a strategy here that can help alleviate blank? And then that's where you step in and go, okay, well, Here's one technique that I've been using or we could use, or this is the way we position ourselves. And it's really that mindset piece of the tree, right? How do I convince a teacher that there is a solution to their pebble and this might be the thing? And a lot of times it's following the curiosity path. It is the math talk. It is setting up the model that we can use in our classroom. A lot of these pieces of the tree, a lot of these pieces that we use in our three-part framework are answers to a lot of those pebbles that they have. And we can step in and help them with their mindset. Go, look, I don't have to convince you anymore because this is the answer to that problem. And if we get good at it, all those problems go away or that problem will go away. So that's the first thing we do. And then the nuts and bolts of the procedure or you know, the nuts and bolts of the, of the actual activity that comes later. But the first part is that mindset and that change, that beliefs of that we are going to work towards this goal to alleviate that problem. And we're going to use this strategy to do it. Hey there, Math Moment Makers. Are you a dedicated listener? Like I'm talking, have you been listening for a couple of months, maybe even a couple of years? 
Well, if you haven't taken a moment to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform, it would mean so much to us. It'll take you under one minute uh, so that you can help more educators see and experience the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. Uh, Do us this huge solid. Uh, We thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And uh, here is today's episode. So what you're doing is you're trying to ask people what their problem is so that you then change the mindset in the soil to get to the branch. Of the, I got it. I got, you got it. it. Wow. Look at this. I, I, he's I mean, he's, no, he's piecing all process. the trees together. He's got all you're the trees. You're not telling them what to do. You're and then there's fruit playing. on the tree after. <laughs> yeah, totally. It, it, it's like science class. It's like yeah. there's a cycle here. And I'm loving the light bulbs that we're seeing going off, which is great. And, you know, just to add to what John was saying, it's like, like almost to get them to highlight, which essentially, I think you've realized this, you already said it or mentioned it earlier, but we're trying to help you get to where you need to be through questioning. And we want to do the same thing for our educators and almost like helping to ask the questions that are going to get them closer to that place. And then once they're there and like when you're ready and they go, well, like, how do you actually do a number talk? Right. Or or when you ask the question, like, what is a number talk? Because when I ask teachers, I'll be honest, my interpretation of a number talk five years ago is very different than what a number talk is today. To me, I used to say things like really, I called a number talk was like a warm up. It Mm -hmm, was like estimation mm -hmm. 180. It was like, which one doesn't belong? It was like. And those can be helpful if your intentionality is estimation or if your intentionality is getting students talking and building math discourse. But when I look at a number talk, when we're talking about number sense, fluency and flexibility with number and operations, my number talk definition is completely different now. And it's I want kids and it's more like the Kathy Fosno definition where. It's all about helping them to see the behaviors of the numbers and the operators through a specific strategy and a model. And the model will be the tool. So there's no calculator. We're not going to do any of this with a calculator. And we're going to do it so targeted that I'm not going to allow the rabbit hole thing to happen. Because a lot of people look at number talk as a way for every student to share every strategy in the universe. And there is a time and a place to maybe do that. Maybe first day of school or the first week of school where you want everyone participating. But then I want to get to a place where I go, okay, I want students to know I'm going to give you turn and talk time so everyone will get to share. But ultimately, at the end of today's number talk, I want every single person to know this new idea, this new model, and this new strategy, and I'm going to push you to do it. And the example I use is I'm going to be going to coach hockey in just a couple hours time. I have some kids on the team, young kids on the team who can stop facing right. And they want to stop facing right every single time. And it's like, no, 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 no. Today, I want you to stop facing left. And they're like, but I'm going to fall. And I'm like, exactly. We need you to work on that. I don't want you to just do the thing you already know how. So if a student's going, every time I add two numbers, I always take two from that and give it to this one. And then now this is a friendly number and I put them together. That's great. That's called compensation. But if that student does that every single day as their strategy, they haven't learned anything new. So the whole goal there would be, I want everybody to have something new, or if you already knew the strategy, amazing, you're going to practice that strategy and that model today. But guess what? 
tomorrow or the day after, it's likely we're going to have something new for you to try. So it's less about students coming to the table with all of their strategies and more or less us building on what we know they've already practiced and done Mm -hmm. and intentionally nudging them along so that they see more and more these behaviors or these patterns that are number sense and operations. And imagine what that could do for you when you get to proportional relationships, when students start to see how numbers are related and how, holy smokes, when I did all those division number talks, those are really important now when I'm in proportional relationships, because it's all based on division. Like you can say multiplication too, but more importantly is division. And I can't really get to the nuts and bolts of those behaviors until students have these behaviors over here and feel confident and strong with them. So there's a lot to unpack there, but that maybe is like a mini content knowledge piece. Like if you Mm want to like explore the roots with your team, that could be part of the roots. And then the actual physical process of the number talk could be considered your pedagogical content knowledge piece, right? And then when you look at the resources, the leaves of the tree, you start to think, okay, well, which resource am I going to use? Maybe it's Kathy Fosno's mini lessons books are are the resources we're going to use. You've hit three parts of the tree through doing one thing with your team that maybe you focus on as like, we'll call it, I don't want to say it's like micro because it's small, but it's like a specific goal that actually is going to help strengthen three. And I'll be honest and say probably all parts of your tree as you move forward. Correct. I mean, because to deliver that, you really have to know a lot of some of that stuff deeply when the kids, Pam Harris is very, when I get on with her, how you model students thinking to help them, like how to, for them to reason. Like that's crazy. You know what I mean? That's kind of what you're saying. Now you said you can get it down. One of the notes while you were talking, because you asked what my team needs is it's gotta be quick. If I do this is 10 minutes, they're going to look at me like, nope. No yep. way. My big thing is like, if I can keep it short and sweet, which again, so it means it's not going to be like, there's no noticing and wondering. It's not a curiosity protocol. This is a, we want to continue. It's a routine that we want to get into. We obviously don't want to bore students, but the interesting part about math is that as students become more confident doing it. So if I can structure it in such a way that it's not so easy that it's boring and not so hard that I'm going to give up on it, but I get into that flow zone, you know, you get into that middle ground, you start to become engaged because your confidence and your ability, like your strength starts to make you want to do it more. And you see this with, again, go back to sports, students or kids, when they start a new sport, if they're not very good at it, oftentimes they're like, I don't like this. Well, I Mm -hmm. don't like it either if I don't know how to do anything. But once you structure it in a way where they have many successes, they start to enjoy it more and more and more. And then that machine just keeps on churning. So I would say like building that in tier two instruction if possible, but also building it into the tier one. Again, you can do it like you just have to make sure that you don't let it blow up into a 20 minute routine might start as a 20 minute routine because you have to get that routine down and kids have to understand what it is we're trying to achieve here. But within a handful of days, we can get it down to a place where we go, hey, We're only going to take five minutes to do this or six minutes to do this or whatever that timeline is. We might only get through three problems together. We don't have to get through a whole string of eight problems. We're just going to do these three. And tomorrow we're going to continue where we left off and build on that same skill and build some momentum from there. That's perfect. Now, let me ask you a question. Because, again, I'm more about the long game. 
the math talks I did not highlight like you guys suggested as a need right now. Are you thinking this is a need or are you thinking like, okay, Sean, you might be working like I still need to get to these pieces here a little bit before I go to the, is that okay? I think what you want to do is sit down with the team and think about what are the goals? What are our goals this year? And what are strategies, models? What are the initiatives that we're going to focus on this year to help with achieving our goals? But those goals really come from those pebbles that we talked about earlier. Like what can we do to help alleviate, but also strengthen our own pedagogical knowledge, our own proficiency, help our students in that way. What should we focus on this year? And what are the strategies and resources and tools we're going to use to help get there? There might be already too many things on your plate, right? right? Like, you know, if there's too many things on your plate right now, and not to say it, you don't add it to like tomorrow's lunch or next year's lunch or whatever it is, but just making sure that you can only do so much now and It might be in your mind, or maybe there's other people you plan with, but it doesn't make it to the entire group, right? It's almost like, hey, this is where we want to head eventually, but the time is not right at this moment. So again, it's just like that tree. It's like you can't do everything all at once, and it's not going to happen perfectly, but Mm -hmm. you just essentially have to kind of assess like we did with our growth assessment that we've done with you is sort of just to get you thinking about these different pieces. And then you kind of look at them and go, all right, here's where we are. And here's what we might do next, because guess what, what you do and what the next school or district does it might be right for them, but maybe it's not right for you and vice versa. Right? Yeah, if you have too many targets, you're hitting out of them, right? And that's an important thing we strive to remember as well. Sean, what would you say is a big takeaway from our conversation here? Uh, well, the biggest takeaway for me is everything's a moving part. That tree is growing everywhere, no matter what happens, even if it's just a sapling, like you said. So, yeah. But, you know, there's certain things that are just going on. The second thing is, Teachers guide you. You ask them the right questions. That's when you step in to help them. So when you're looking at making differences or what the teachers need, which is where I need to start, the biggest thing, I got to get to the team together and just start. I think that they need to see those six parts. These six parts make up our school, man. We don't need to worry about all six parts at the same time. Like, like you said, I don't want to like overwhelm them, but as you're growing, like, how's your mindset? Do you believe in this? Do you believe that? Do you understand how to do this? The, you know what the simplest question that I made headway was? Why do you divide the points you earned out of the total points to get your percentage? Mm. And they, I said, we all do that. Do you know why it works? They actually didn't know. So I was saying you turn into a decimal. Are you really? And it wasn't until you laid in a ratio table where I was like, you're actually figuring out how much you earned per one question. And yeah. percentages are out of 100. You're, but you can show that in a ratio table. Yeah, totally. And are you really doing that divided <laughs> by the total or are you dividing the total and what you earned by that? Like, mm-hmm. like that piece there is how your inroads came where we don't have the conceptual understanding we think how many years and I right. never understood why it worked. We're beating down this whole tree idea, but the reality is it's like the tree is never done growing, right? Like a tree never That's stops. It. it eventually, sadly, will die and be done. But the reality is, is that our conceptual understanding, I believe, will never be done. And that goes for you. It goes for John. It goes for me. It goes for all of us. So that is, I think, what makes math education so and education in general so amazing is that there is no end to it. 
and that every single day we can learn something new and everything we learn as educators, we can in turn use as a powerful way to impact and influence other students and helping them to grow and learn. So it's such a great way to, I guess, look at the profession that we're in. Whereas if you really just for a moment, I don't want to leave on a downer here, but if we go back and think about procedures, like think of how limiting procedures are in terms of like yeah. the idea. It's like, this is it. Like this is all division is like divisions, this do that. And then the learning is done. Whereas on the other hand, all of these other ideas, it leads to deeper learning. It leads to deeper understanding. And that I think is what we want for kids. And if we can all as a team come together and your school being a mini part of this massive team of math educators, if we can all come together and sort of see and help to see that, that it is something that really has no end, it's a pretty awesome profession to be in. Yeah, I agree with you. Like you said, it just never stops. <laughs> it's always like you get someone on there and they start making you think a little different. I was like, oh, yeah, we never thought of it that way. You know, that's why it's neat when you guys bring the podcast people on. It's like, it's kind of cool how they think about things. But man, awesome. I can't thank you guys hey. enough. I really appreciate you guys putting that workshop out. Now I'm, now I'm on there. It's always, it's always a learning experience. As always, both John and I learned so much from having these math mentoring moment conversations and uh, more and more, we're having more conversations around that whole tree that we're describing and developing that math program. It used to be a number of years ago, we were really focusing, hyper-focusing on specific lessons and talking about how we might introduce different concepts, still really important, but only a part of the tree. And I hope what people took away from this episode is how important it is for us to pick a place to start and work on, right? And for you and I, John, I think that was with specific problem-based lessons. That's where we began our journey. But over time, like you have to zoom out and sort of look at the whole tree. How is it developing? What's missing? What's being ignored? And how are we going to address it? It's so awesome to hear that Sean has some ideas, some new ideas that he can take back and bring his team on board to start thinking about how do we build on the good things that are already happening in our school. Yeah. And if you listen to this and you are thinking about the pieces of the tree, your tree at your district, and you are also curious about the report that we referenced, the assessment that you can go through so to get your customized report to start making changes in your program, you can head on over to makemathmoments.com forward slash grow. That's makemathmoments.com forward slash grow. Get your report and start changing your program now. Awesome. Uh, John, we just created this assessment tool and it's only a couple of weeks old. By the time this is on the air, it's going to be a few more weeks down the road. But within two weeks, we've had about a hundred different district leaders out there who are curious about what's working well and where they can improve. Usually people have a general sense of what's going well. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they have a sense of maybe what's not working or that there's something missing. What this does is really help them hone in on maybe some next steps and give them some focus. And uh, oftentimes we hop on calls to have a conversation with those district leads. So really exciting work that we're doing. Friends, if you haven't yet, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Ratings and reviews are so appreciated. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube right now and you're actually looking at us on YouTube, go ahead, hit the subscribe button, leave a comment. 
all of the support goes a long way to ensuring that more math moment makers in the world are reached. And that means that more students can do more mathematics. So make sure you hit that button and subscribe. If you heard any resources, links, ideas that you want to explore further in this episode, all resources are over at the show notes page. Head on over to makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 223. Again, that's makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 223. Well, my math moment maker friends, until next time, I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. High fives for us. And I vibe for you. If you are a district leader of mathematics, a math coach, a math curriculum coordinator, a superintendent and principal, getting teacher buy-in for effective math teaching practice is top of mind. And plans only go so far. You can make you know detailed plans and, and carefully designed goals with clear objectives and key results that are measurable. But that can feel like it all falls flat if we can't engage our teachers in the work. Working with teachers who do not want to change their teaching practices is one of the most frustrating and challenging parts of our job. How do I help teachers engage in effective teaching practices when they keep pushing us away? If you can't reach the tipping point in mass adoption of effective mathematics teaching strategies, then it's it's likely we won't see student improvement in mathematics. We have a free training uh, an accompanying workbook for leaders of mathematics like you. Uh, the, math, the Make Math Moments team, myself, John, and Kyle, walk you through our four-stage process uh, we use with district partners to create clear, measurable, sustainable PD action plans, but more specifically on how to also get teacher buy-in so that it drives student engagement. So step one, register for this free training, get your planning workbook, um, and then watch the training. Schedule some time on your calendar so you can watch it and go through the workbook. After completing that workbook, you're going to have a clear, measurable vision, action plan for mathematics to get more teacher buy-in, but also be able to hit your goals for the 2024-2025 school year. So head on over to makemathmoments.com forward slash four stages to start this free training.